Hello again. This is another mini episode from Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction, and today we're going to talk about gibbets. surviving lockdown okay I hope at least a small tenuous grasp on reality uh, is still being clung to out there I'm here again uh, me and Chris hi 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 how are you holding up yeah pretty good actually sanity's still there yeah good yeah yeah okay great I'd say as sane as I've ever been okay (laughs) well you are very well adjusted (laughs) corona has no effect (laughs) immune I'm not gonna say that let's not say that Yes, I hope you're all all right. I hope whether you are out working in the world um, in a key role or whether you're stuck at home either working or doing nothing or, you know, doing some stuff but just trying to trying to get through the days. I hope you're all okay. I thought what might help us to keep our grip on reality and sanity was a little bit of discussion of gibbets. Uh, what say you, Chris, to gibbets? <laughs> <laughs> what, what say you, Chris? I mean, I don't know as much I can say, is there? Well, there might be soon, once you learn a bit well, more. there we go then. Um, we're going to talk today particularly about Caxton gibbet, which is the most famous gibbet in Cambridgeshire. Um, am I aware of Caxton gibbet because it's universally famous? Um, I, feel I, like, I feel like I would know of it, but I don't know. I, if you'd said, where is Caxton? I don't think I'd have said, oh, it's in Cambridgeshire. But what if I said, what is Caxton gibbet? Well, I would have said it's a gibbet in Caxton. But you wouldn't have known what any of those words meant. Well, I might have done. <laughs> well. <laughs> I know, like a gibbet in a place. I think I think I thought for a long time that a gibbet was just the same as a gallows. Yes, didn't we all? I thought the same. Right. But not not no more. No. Um, I should just point out at this stage that we're drinking red wine. We've had a lovely Zoom chat with our friends Dylan and Charlie before this. So we've already drunk a bottle of red wine. Now we're having some more. So, we, you know, we're going to get through the mini episode. But our senses might be dulled. Our brains might be bamboozled. We'll have to see how we go. <laughs> Chris is grinning at me. So Caxton gibbet. So that's two words. Maybe some people aren't familiar with either of them. Caxton, a rural village in Cambridgeshire. Gibbet, we will define right now. Not just a gallows. Not just a gallows. It's true. A gibbet is a, a structure which is particularly designed to display the body of an executed criminal. So it could be all kinds of things, actually. I mean, gibbeting as a practice... Examples of it go far, far back into history. The Romans were quite keen on gibbeting. You might say crucifixion was a form of gibbeting because after the bodies had been crucified, they were just left there for quite a long time. Um, Anything like that, putting a head on a spike, quite popular in the old days, um, that's a form of gibbeting. But the kind of gibbeting we are particularly looking at in relation to Caxton um, is a much later process and it was more to do with uh, having a structure from which you would hang a cage so this is the particular kind of gibbeting we want to talk about today caxton gibbet 
in its basic structure or indeed what you can see now still there uh is the like the the perpendicular beams of wood with the the diagonal corner but isn't that the gallows yeah that's the gallows okay but if you're hanging a man by his neck until dead or if you're hanging a cage you may use the that same basic structure as your your baseline so that's what Caxton gibbet looks like. Today, you can still see a gibbet there. It's actually a reproduction of the original, but it's not a modern reproduction. It was, it was um, well, the stories we're going to hear are dating from the 1700s. There's some reports from around 1800 where there was nothing there. So presumably it fell or it was taken down. But by the late 1800s, more reports, it was back. So someone in the 1800s built like a reproduction of it. Um, and it's still there, so you can see it if you want to. And it's that basic gallows hangman shape. But it would have had, and this is crucial, a cage. A cage hanging down from that crossbeam, which we do not have today. Can I ask, so nobody was ever hung on the reproduction? No. Okay, so why why was the reproduction made? Well, funnily enough, there is something I read that makes a suggestion about this. Um, and that is that a pub was built in the area, or rather an inn, as they called them, was built there in the 1800s, and that was called the Caxton Gibbet Inn. And there seems to be a suggestion that the replica was was built at the same time as the inn, which would give it like a, a bit of a feature. A sense of authenticity. A, yeah, a kind of, you know, an attraction. Right. Come to Caxton Gibbet Inn, see the famous gibbet. So that isn't confirmed, but something I read suggested that it might have been at the same time as the inn was built right. that made it a kind of feature a macabre exactly exactly you know people like that kind of thing don't they only today i was reading about the smallest pub in in britain which is in bury st edmunds got a mummified cat hanging from the ceiling Hmm. you know people like that stuff so you know more about it more about that sort of thing will will come up that kind of spectacle of the gibbet i'm gonna say a little bit about cage gibbets just a little bit so a cage gibbet which was originally what was at Caxton. A cage would be built of iron and the cage would be built in the shape of the human body. Have you ever seen such a thing? I suppose I can imagine it. I, I mean, I can't say I've ever seen such a thing. I'm, I'm thinking like I've probably seen some like hammer films with some medieval uh, maybe, torture stuff probably. in it. The idea, of course, of the gibbeting was that I think twofold. Firstly, it was a kind of extension of the punishment um, for the criminal, that their body, as we discussed a bit with with William Corder when we talked about William Corder, um, the Murder Act, which was passed in 1751, decreed that murderers should not be buried after execution, but instead they should be either dissected or hung in chains. And the idea was that they shouldn't be given a proper burial um, and that the punishment for their most heinous of crimes should continue after death. Part of the idea of the gibbeting was that the punishment was extended beyond death, but also, of course, it was meant to be a deterrent, that it would display this is what will happen to you if you commit murder or, in fact, some other crimes, treason, piracy, smuggling, that kind of thing, all got punishment by gibbet as well. Can I question you on some technicalities? Or yes, may yes, they, question may, may they be coming? On, on a gallows with a gibbet, mm. are you still hung by a rope from your neck and then when you are dead, you are gibbeted? Or are, is the gibbet hung from the gallows and you're put in the gibbet and you're just, you know, allowed to waste away inside of it? Well, are, are you dead when you go in the gibbet? This is a very good question. And in fact, this is why we make a nice 
couple living together in lockdown. This was exactly <laughs> the point I was going to come to next. Oh, well, it's so almost as though brains, I've read your notes. Our brains work so well. I haven't. Um, you wouldn't be hung at the same site as you were gibbeted. So right, if, you, if you were to be executed by hanging for murder, you'd be hung usually... In the at the assizes or at the local jail or wherever the executions usually took place. And then you would be taken to a specific site where a gibbet would have been erected and your body would be put into the gibbet. Right. There's quite a lot of stories about the idea that people were put in there alive and are left to die of exposure, dehydration, starvation, and that people could see you physically wasting away mm. day after day as you gradually, gradually died. Actually, there's not that much confirmed, you know, verifiable reports of that, certainly not in the modern era, by which I mean the kind of 17, 1800s. It does seem to very much have been that you were put in there after you died as the kind of punishment for your body. So you were hung or usually hung in this country. And then after that, your corpse was put into the gibbet and then left right. to rot away. Stench up the countryside. Stench up the countryside, exactly. And I think, I assume that's kind of why they put them into these human-shaped cages, mm. is to keep the body upright. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Because you need to keep the position or you've just got a bag of bones slumped at the bottom of a cage, which by the end it probably was anyway. So you did get this kind of classic square shape sometimes, but mostly they were these human-shaped cages. There's, I think there's something like, is it 14 or 16 gibbet cages which can be viewed around the UK? They're mostly in small museums. I've been reading a bit of writing by the academic Sarah Tarlow, and also a really good interview with her in um, on the Camera Obscura website. And she has made... Uh, made Camera a... Obscura, the band? No, there's a... Is it called Camera Obscura? Atlas Obscura. Atlas Obscura, which is a website of all weird stuff. But Sarah Tarlow has, has made uh, a career of researching and writing about punishments and particularly gibbeting. Niche. Very niche, but, you know, why not? Um, and she has, in this interview, she's saying how she's made it an uh, effort to, like, visit all the existing cage gibbets in the UK. Right, like the uh, National Trust passport. Yes! Oh, Chris, you poor fool. <laughs> Chris, when Chris and I first moved in together, Chris keeps shoeboxes of, of things, you know, cards, archive stuff of his life I don't know and there was a National Trust passport which was apparently I I don't know about these you would get it stamped every time you went to a National Trust property and you had to get how many Ooh, I don't know like quite 30, a lot maybe? to fill a passport and Chris's bloody National Trust passport every single page was stamped but the last page just one last page not stamped not complete grew too old lost interest ah oh, but just that last stamp and then I said, to, I said to him, I was like, we need to take this to Anglesey Abbey and just get them to stamp you. But I don't know if they still do it. It could be a good, uh, a good social media story, couldn't it? Maybe. That'd go viral. Man gets National Trust passport stamped after <laughs> 25 years. But you might just like your stamp. More than 25 years. To keep your God. stamp. Anyway, I was thinking it's more like in um, the end of The Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> you know yes. Barney? Barney, he's... Um, he works at the asylum where Hannibal Lecter's kept. And Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter Le isn't kept at the asylum at the end of Silence of the Lambs. What, because he's escaped? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, but he's been kept there before. Okay. And he, Barney is, is his main kind of 
I want to say nurse, but he's not yeah. a nurse, he's a warden. But he talks to Hannibal Attends a lot to and him. Hannibal tells him about arts and culture is the whole thing, a bit patronising. But And then at the end, I think it's at the end of The Science of the Lambs, Barney is setting out on a mission to see every Vermeer in the world, every Vermeer painting. Right. So there's a only, I can't remember how many, but there's not that many Vermeer paintings. Um, and Barney sells some of the he sells like the mask that Hannibal Lecter wore and to to fund his trip around the world to see every Vermeer painting. Is that in Science of the Lambs? I'm sure it is in the book. Okay. Uh, maybe it is in the book. I think it's in the book. Anyway, it made me think of that because it's <laughs> quite macabre. Yeah. So here's a few Somewhere places. between Science of the Lambs and the National Trust passport. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that's quite a good <laughs> accurate description of that. So here's some places if you want to see some cage gibbets. Finn is squeaking. A lot of them are in quite small provincial museums around the country. Quite a few of them are in museums that are related to justice. So kind of old, you know, when they've turned old police stations, courthouses into into, uh, museums. So the Guildhall Museum in Leicester have a cage gibbet. The National Justice Museum in Nottingham. The Moyes Hall Museum, which is in Bury St Edmunds, which we talked about before. For because they've got some of the William Corder memorabilia exhibits, Artifacts. bits, fleshy, fleshy bits. Um, they've also got a cage to bit. There's also one in Rye in East Sussex, in Rye Castle, which is known as, I think you say it, Wipers Tower, Ypres. Wipers. I- I- Ypres. And the one in, in Rye has got a replica skeleton inside which they put in there to show you. The most famous op- occupant of the cage in Rye was a murderer called John Breads. John Breads was imprisoned in the tower before being hung. He'd done a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and his remains were then left to rot in the gibbet for 20 years. I mean, presumably after a year, what's left? 20 years on gibbet marsh. The crows have had their fill. You've, you know, moulded away. Yeah, I a- just left there. Over the years, bones, I guess, as you say, it would rot away. So probably some bones would like fall out because they usually position them very high so that people right. can't interfere with the bodies. Right. But the bones are going to fall out. The The skull, however, stayed because it had this kind of iron casing around in a head shape. The skull stayed in the gibbet. So when they eventually took it down, they were able to take the skull out. And the skull is now kept in Rye Town Hall. <laughs> But I don't think you can see it. Right, presiding over council meetings. <laughs> Maybe. So you can, if you want to, you can kind of look up where all these things are and do your own gibbet trail of the UK. <laughs> well, that's summer sorted. <laughs> Not going to be going abroad, are we? That's true. And I also discovered, which struck me as fun, is that gibbet marsh in Rye, you can stay in an old windmill, which used to be called the gibbet mill mm. uh, and is now a and b so if you want to. It's literally a subculture of tourism <laughs> but based solely around gibbets. Well, but they just became, um, uh, well, I was going to talk like about this a bit later, but they just became place names. Because yeah. if they were there, if you've got something hanging there for so long, it becomes like a part of the landscape almost. I also thought, which was fun or not fun to mention, the idea that living people were put into the gibbets as a punishment and left basically to rot. Mm. While not verified, as I say in in the more modern accounts, is referenced in the children's film Willow, <laughs> because Willow comes across Mad Martigan 
just in a in a cage. Right. Well, he could just be in a cage, or is it just a very close, tight-fitting cage? Well, it's not the shape of a human, but it is like a proper hanging cage, and they refer to it in the film as a crow's cage. Right. Which I assume either means because a crow goes in a cage, yeah, like so a, you're like, like a, a pet crow, bird. or the crows come and nibble at your eyeballs. The crows come yeah. and nibble at your eyeballs. And I feel like the implication is he's been left there to die because he's desperately begging Willow, isn't he, to let him out of the cage? I can't remember. I've literally not seen Willow for 30 years probably. So we were talking about this earlier because lovely Dylan and Charlie, their small daughter is named after a character from Willow. Mad Martigan. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course not. Um, But um, we were thinking about it earlier on, but it just seems weird that it's a children's film, but it has this really kind of sinister reference to the idea of somebody dying of dehydration and exposure. Well, I'd say, I mean, all the best uh, children's film, children's literature has uh, references to really dark shit in it. But without being fully exposed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, as a, as a so. child, you just kind of weirdly accept it. And then it's only when you get older, you go, oh, wasn't it odd that that, that, that thing in that was actually, you know, really horrible. a bit sinister? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why Mad Martigan was in the cage. Because he was, you know, wasn't he just a scamp? Again, I. I he probably wasn't. Basically, a zero memory of Willow. Maybe tomorrow's game is watching Willow game isn't it tomorrow's lockdown activity sunday night film club watch willow suggest it we watched the fly this sunday oh it's very gross so gross also quite funny in places yeah much more gross and much more funny than i remember i don't think willow's gonna be either of those things more than we remember just a bit disappointing you think no i don't think so but i think i think i remember its funniness and grossness proportionate to how they are (laughs) (laughs) we will see so yes, Murder Act 1751, the passing of the Murder Act 1751 aimed to better prevent the horrid act of murder. And also it followed years of debate about firstly, what is the best punishment for such a hideous crime um, and also how to deter other people from doing the crime. And as we discussed with Corda, um, the options would be either you would be executed and then dissected or hung in chains, gibbeted. And actually, reading about this a bit more, it was actually very rare to be gibbeted. Right. Dissection was by far the more common outcome. Because I guess it served more of a purpose, didn't it? Yeah. Like, dissection was in the name of science. Yeah. And they weren't going to just go and dissect any, you know, God-fearing person who'd unfortunately shuffled off. No, well, that but was if you're why a murderer, they were, Well, all bets are off. They were keen for bodies. Yeah. And especially, I couldn't find any cases of women being gibbeted. Right. Uh, and this was because female murderers were, or, or criminals that so were it, executed. It was a rare opportunity to dissect exactly. a female body. So it was, it was very rare anyway. There were cases, but there were much fewer of, of female murderers being executed. Um, and when they were, people were desperate to dissect them. Desperate. Mm. So women very, very rarely got gibbeted in this post-murder act time. I think the number I read between 1751, uh, when the murder act was passed, and the year that gibbeting was formally outlawed, which was 1834, there was something like 136 gibbetings. Say the years again. Okay, so the years were Murder Act passed in 1751, gibbeting outlawed in 1834. Okay, so we're looking at about a 70-year period. mm, 
yeah, 80 years. About 136 people were gibbeted and everyone else convicted of murder was dissected. So it was quite unusual, actually. I guess when they were having a glut. <laughs> Maybe Dur- during those hot summer months when everyone's a murdering, it's you ha- haven't got time to dissect everyone. It's hard to know. I think it's um, like some of the crimes that people did get gibbeted for, to me, don't seem particularly more heinous than some of the crimes that people were dissected for. It might just been an arbitrary choice, though, might it? So I think it just came down to the judge. Yeah. But it does seem that um, smuggling was quite a popular one for gibbeting, I guess because... The, the like the warning element was seen as being more important then maybe to warn against smuggling maybe i don't know high women also got it it kind of it um tallies with that thing that we have now where crimes against property are disproportionately punished to crimes against the person yeah, that's true smuggling and highwaymen most cases crimes against property isn't it yeah that's true. So some some gibbeting did take place and something that Tarlow talks about, which I think is really interesting, which goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier about these cages, because it was quite unusual for most blacksmiths. So you think you're a local blacksmith in your area, it's ruled someone is to be executed and then their sentence is to be gibbeted. You, the local blacksmith, they come to you and go, okay, you need to make a gibbet cage. Payday. <laughs> Well, that's All not, you've been doing is horseshoes. Well, <laughs> that's not quite what I was thinking of. Oh. What I was thinking of in, in what Tale says is that actually most blacksmiths, it's not something you're doing regularly because it's a really unusual event and especially in each area. Yeah, a special commission. So you get a special commission, but you don't, you know, you're you're flying by your seat of your pants. You, you don't, don't know how to make a gibbet. You don't you have a design. Come on, it's a cage in the shape of a person. Sure, but if you look at different pictures of different They're all completely gibbets, different. They're all really different because everybody was like, okay, I need to make a cage that a person goes in. Some of them just left the legs to dangle out the bottom. <laughs> Some of them had like leg supports with circles around that the legs go in. Some of them had different bits to hold the arms in position. Some of them put the arms inside by the body. So there's all kinds of different designs for these things because it wasn't something that people were used to making. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But it's interesting because I think, yeah, you can see the different ways that different blacksmiths tackled this problem of being told we need a gibbet cage because it it was quite unusual and most of them wouldn't have ever done it before. Also relating to that, which is interesting and particularly interesting for Caxton, as we'll find out, is unlike gallows, which were typically used for loads of different executions you've got the same execution point for for different executions most gibbet sites were only used once so it would be decided this person's going to be gibbeted they chose the site by two means one means was what's going to be visible so they want it to be somewhere that a lot of people are going to see it Mm. this ties into the um the shaming of the of the murderer but also the idea of the deterrent you want as many people as possible mm. to see it so they're often at crossroads or they're by waterways or they're somewhere where you've got a lot of traffic going past but the other consideration was they want to be somewhere quite as near as possible to the site of the crime so they would have them if they could somewhere that would be very visible but also somewhere that was in the locale of where the crime was committed and that's how they chose the gibbeting site. But um, but Caxton was a multiple gibbeting site. We will find <laughs> out. And just, sorry, just another reference. Um, I'm also referring here to a book that came out this year. I haven't read all of it by Samantha Priestley, which is called The History of Gibbeting. <laughs> so I'm going to have to read some more of that. That's Christmas sorted. <laughs> 
Um, so, so gibbets were very much built and erected on a, a kind of bespoke basis, if you like, to um, cater for a particular crime. And I've just thought, does that mean if you had a really fat murderer, they'd have to make a really fat cage? Well, I mean, was it one size fits all <laughs> and the cages reused for multiple gibbets? No, no. Always a this new cage. This is what I'm saying. Right. I mean, well, you said the location, but you might have a, um, you know, like a, uh, a regional gibbet. Oh, no. oh, the gibbet's in Ely today. We'll send for it and we can pop it up in... No. no. Each okay. time new or, ve- or most well, with it was, the vast it was majority. was a payday for the blacksmiths then. Because I'm just thinking, you know when Pavarotti died? <laughs> they had to make him that massive coffin. Oh, he was quite large. Exactly. So anyway, I don't think there's any examples of a massive... People weren't obese, were they, in those days? It was probably pretty... If you were of the murdering class, it was probably quite hard to get to be yeah. obese. Or certainly the murdering class who were getting convicted <laughs> yeah. of their murder. Yeah, who weren't getting away with it. Yeah. So um, a sort of consequence of this was things like smugglers, as I talked about earlier. There are several examples of smugglers being gibbeted. They would hang the gibbets near the seashore somewhere Mm. or near the harbours where other smugglers would see them. Another consequence that Priestley talks about is that it often meant because, you know, people weren't travelling around all that much. Murders were quite often committed within a community Mm. that if your son or your brother or your husband got convicted of murder you could potentially every day when you left your house have to walk past their gibbeted body decomposing i think you'd move well (laughs) maybe but yeah so it's quite grim so there's there are reports of people having to like pass or change their routes to try and avoid seeing a gibbeted son, relative. A gibbeted relative, exactly. I think you earlier mentioned the stench. Well, I mean, yeah, it was the first thing that came to mind. It wasn't that popular amongst the population, <laughs> this form of punishment. Especially if you want it somewhere where it's visible, i.e. lots of people are going to be around. Exactly. And I wonder if this is why it got brought to an end <laughs> <laughs> before some of the other punishments. There was certainly a kind of initial element of spectacle to a gibbeting. So when the body first was installed, as it were, there are reports that crowds would come and people would could look at it and it was it was this big spectacle. We've talked about before how executions were a kind of public holiday Mm. people wanted to come from far and wide to see them taking place and it does seem that initially with gibbeting that was the case but for anyone who actually lived nearby very stinky yeah quite disgusting here's a quote from tarlo you can imagine what it was like just to have a decomposing body there especially at the beginning when there was still soft tissue. Was that the stinky bit? That's the stinky bit. So you would smell the the stench. Another problem that people complained of was because of the construction, they would just sort of swing in the wind. (laughs) So you would have this horrible like clanking as the iron cage like creaked and groaned in the wind. You wouldn't like it if it was near you. No, I suppose not. A creaking gibbet cage. And with every every creak and groan, a waft... A filthy fetid waft. No, no. But I would like the sound. But because because these cages were sometimes left up for years, people had to endure this if they were nearby. For... How long would the stench last then? Only as long as the soft tissue. Well, that's true. So you wouldn't have the stench for years. But you'd have the sight of a bag of old bones and the creaking horror. I mean, it's like those people who uh, move into flats next to pubs and then complain that the pub's loud, isn't it? 
I like, don't, don't move in next to a gibbeting site <laughs> if you're going to complain about the stench. I don't think it's quite like that. No? <laughs> I don't think people were moving house as much in the, <laughs> in the 1700s. And again, as we a little bit touched on earlier with gibbet marsh in Rye, they sometimes were hung so long that they became landmarks. So, or people would use them as directions or to describe places. So, for example, uh, you can find some street names which are relating to gibbet sites, even if not directly like gibbet marsh. For example, in Banbury in Oxfordshire, Old Parr Road is named after a murderer who was gibbeted in 1746 called Parr, who just was hanging there for ages and he just ended up giving his name to the road. Uh, And as we see with Caxton gibbet, that still ends up giving its name to places around the area. In fact... The Caxton Gibbet Inn, which stood on the site for a long time, burned down in the early 1900s. In mysterious circumstances. Uh, I don't know. I oh. don't think so. But what is, so that's gone. But what's there now is a McDonald's, which is, <laughs> if you look on on uh, Google Maps, McDonald's Caxton Gibbet. Right. That's what it's called. Right on the site. Yeah. Well, like not on the site, but very close. Right. And close, you know, McDonald's, they all have their names. Like what's the services? Tell me the name of the services. I don't know. Um, T-Bay services. Is that something real? Yeah, it's a famous service station in like the Lake District. Okay, so you might have McDonald's T-Bay. Right, I see, yeah. Then, so McDonald's, New Market Road. McDonald's Caxton Gibbet. <laughs> so that's what it's called. <laughs> it's true. I feel like there's a kind of a, a League of Gentlemen subtext to this. Where, I don't you know. know. All the meat in the McDonald's is coming from a <laughs> Maybe. suspicious source. And Caxton Gibbet is very much on this idea of it being a, like somewhere visible. So it's at a crossroads of the road that goes from Cambridge to St. Neots and on the other way from London to Huntingdon. So if you want to visit when things reopen, please do. Imagine that it's, I'm going to say, 120 years ago and instead of the McDonald's, it's the Caxton Gibbet Inn and just 200 yards from there, Caxton Gibbet itself. Do you want to hear some stories then? Yeah. Caxton Gibbet. We've got all the context... We know all about gibbeting. We know already that Caxton gibbet is unique because of its repeated gibbeting. Well, but is that true? Oh. Let's hear the first story. Let me down the garden path. (laughs) Let's hear the first story. The particular story that persists about Caxton Caxton gibbet. Can you hear Vin? He's squeaking. I don't know if he'll translate. The story concerns two men, Albert Partridge and Jack Williamson. The story goes, Jack had a beloved dog, a black lurcher, called, rather ostentatiously, Flash. Flash was his pride and joy. Partridge, the neighbour, was quite jealous of Flash, often expressing that he he was quite jealous uh, and also, you know, he would antagonise Jack Williamson as a result. Unfortunately, Flash sickened and died and Jack Williamson was convinced that this had been Partridge poisoning the dog. In a rage, Williamson confronted Partridge and in a subsequent fight ended up murdering him. I think he bashed him on the head. The story then goes that Williamson left the scene and just went to the pub. Um, and while he was in the pub, he kept the story... This is, as I say, I found this story in a few different books about Cambridgeshire folklore. They all say that in the pub, Williamson made a number of cryptic comments relating to Partridge's. For example, I have been stealing some partridges. Oh, those partridges won't be coming back. That sort of weird stuff. (laughs) And they were like, oh, what about the gamekeeper? And he was like, oh, that partridge doesn't need a gamekeeper. This kind of weird thing. (laughs) 
this is what I'm reading. Are you, are you impressed I'm resisting the temptation to go and <laughs> Make a partridge joke. Yeah. <laughs> The partridge amongst the pigeons. <laughs> so he was making, he was getting drunk, saying all these weird things about partridges. And it was only later when the body of Albert Partridge was found that uh, everyone was like, hang on, hang on now. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. How clever he is with his <laughs> wordplay. With his clever, his clever comments. So Williamson was tried and convicted and in most versions of the tale was then condemned to be hung and subsequently gibbeted. And such did Caxton Gibbet come to be built. So he was the first. As I say, <laughs> this story, not sure about it, found it in lots of places, but it doesn't seem to be verifiable and there isn't a date associated with it. Mm. But this is a, a story you find. Um, and the final tragic part of that story tells of a local baker who took pity. So in some in some cases of the story, sorry, he's, he's put in alive uh, and left to rot in the gibbet which is what casts doubt on it a bit. Because right. as I say, actually, there's no reported in like reputable places yeah. that this happened. But the final part of the story where he's put in alive is a local baker takes pity, gives him up a loaf of bread. Just flings it up into the gibbet. Is executed <laughs> for his pains, for his kindness, because that's interfering with justice. Right. So not sure about that one but found it in a lot of places. Here's one that we can find more um, actual groundings for. Got the verified stamp. With dates. It doesn't specify absolutely Caxton gibbet, but the locations match up um, and it seems like it, it kind of fits. And that concerns a highwayman who robbed a mail coach and was convicted in 1757, so quite shortly after the murder act. He didn't do a murder, though. He just robbed a mail coach. Mm. But you know interfering with the mail. Sounds uh, very Wild West, robbing a mail coach. It does, but you know how when you're young, everyone's like, oh, if you do a bad thing with a letter, that's treason. Right, put a firework in a letterbox. Yeah, or, you know, it's 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 treason, isn't it, essentially? Because um, it's know, the, isn't, her isn't like defacing the stamps or something. Her Majesty's Mail, yeah. or His Majesty's Mail in those days. So anyway, it was it was taken a very dim view of. Wasn't there a story? This is a bit of a sidetrack, but um, that uh, for a long time the you could still be um, sentenced to death for like treason on Her Majesty's docks or something like that. Could be again, like showing that treason was a, a kind of disproportionately punished. Yeah, crime. I remember when we were teenagers and the Cambridge Arms pub, which isn't there anymore, used to stick like um, promotional stickers onto pound coins and give them out with their change, hmm. and we used to go oh isn't it you can't put a sticker on a coin because that's yeah, like the face in the queen's face exactly it's the currency it's the her majesty's currency oh they can't do it i don't know can't damage a swan <laughs> don't damage a swan so this is a more verifiable report there's like a proper record of this man what was his name gatwood being convicted right. and sentenced to be hung and subsequently gibbeted in that area. So that is a more verifiable report. An antiquarian of the time, I think he was called William Cole. I didn't write his name down. He records that after two or four months, the screws holding the cage gave way and the cage and remains fell to the ground. Shoddy job. <laughs> Presumably at which point they were cleared away. <laughs> but if both stories are true... Williamson and Gatwood both gibbeted at Caxton it would make the site very unusual in being the location for not one but two gibbetings what do you say to that well lovely 
How great. great that it's within a stone's throw of our house. <laughs> and just a final bit, which is a bit more humorous. <laughs> more you... humorous even than being <laughs> left to rot inside a suspended metal cage. More humorous even than that. You asked me earlier about the modern day gibbet. <laughs> you said, has anything been hung on it? Oh, I see. Well, was the recreation was yeah. solely for um, yeah um, aesthetic um, purposes. <laughs> There are reports through the 20th century in local papers, which are collected together in the Cambridgeshire collection uh, housed in the Central Library. I haven't been there recently. Well, you can't. A lot of it's online. Don't worry. I'm not sneaking out to do research. Can you imagine? What a swat. Oh, that would be like such a, a yeah, like a swatty, a swatty academic in a film. Yeah. Oh, I have to do my research. I can't possibly stay in lockdown. I've broken, broken lockdown to get my hands on this rare microfiche. You'd be like Indiana Jones smashing through the floor in the library. <laughs> Just to get the good, the good stuff. But in reverse, you'd be coming up. You'd, be, you'd have gone into the sewers so you could uh, enter the library unseen, <laughs> smashing up into yes. the library. So the Cambridgeshire collection has reports telling of this over the years through the twentieth century. Locals have hung various effigies <laughs> from the crossbeam. Firstly, it was the turn of Kaiser Wilhelm II <laughs> in nineteen nineteen. Makes sense. A figure was hung with a little sign. I am the Kaiser. <laughs> no. The sign said, I deserve it, Kaiser Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it said. Well, he shouldn't have gone and done that war, should he? <laughs> I deserve it, Kaiser Bill. In 1946, Hermann Goering. Oh, I was going to say Hitler, but Goering's a, a left field choice. Side, a full size effigy with medals and jackboots <laughs> appeared two days after the suicide of uh, Hermann Goering. Right. And the last such report is from 1984. Have a guess. Oh, well, you told me, actually. I was going to say Thatcher, and then I thought, oh, no, not Thatcher. 1984, minor strike, Arthur Scargill. Yeah, Scargill. <laughs> I forgot I told you. Yeah, Scargill, um, an effigy of Scargill. I'm assuming it was fairly uh, rudimentary, but it was identifiable because a sign is hung on it saying, Arthur Scargill, scum of the earth. Wow. Who would have thought the people of Cambridgeshire were so riled about the minor strike? Well, no one claimed responsibility, so... I don't know if that meant it was an unpopular opinion. Right. Or if, I don't Propaganda. know. Yeah. So it's it's like the uh, Lewis Bonfire then, isn't it? Where like the guys take the form of popular... Whatever hated figure of yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's true. That's why my thought was when you said 1984 immediately was Thatcher. And uh, I would have said Thatcher had you not told me. But women don't get gibbeted, we know. Women get dissected. Women are dissected, not gibbeted, Chris. Well, Thatcher Always was women. barely a woman. <laughs> she was barely a human. <laughs> That's why. So there we are. That's a very brief, very brief. <laughs> oh no, it's a very brief history of Caxton gibbet and gibbeting in general. I like it. Let's go. I've said the word gibbeting too much. <laughs> you, it starts it's, to yeah, sound weird. Gibbeting, gibbeting, gibbeting. Gibbet, gibbet, gibbet. You I liked it, it when we were testing the mics and we ended up inadvertently doing a version of uh, Chas and Dave's uh, rabbit, hit rabbit. rabbit, but with the word gibbet. <laughs> gibbet, gibbet, gibbet. <laughs> gibbet, gibbet, gibbet. Gibbet, 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 gibbet. Ah, well, I hope you enjoyed that talk of gibbeting and all the nonsense that comes with it. We're probably in lockdown a while yet, so I expect there's going to be some more of these mini strangers for you. I'll find some good ones and I will see you again soon. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>